Today we're going to start 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now the last time we ended uh, with the Apostle Paul in the ending part of the first letter, his first letter to Timothy. The Apostle, Paul's an Apostle, it's a special type of office, and he's trying to minister to this young pastor and teach him what leadership is all about. And today, uh, it's a different letter. It's the second letter to Timothy. Stronger words over the next few chapters about the true cost of ministry and the hardships of leadership. Now, things have changed uh, since this last letter. We're talking now about A.D. 67. Is about the time that the second letter was written. It was a few years after 1 Timothy, and conditions have uh, changed drastically. In 64 AD, started the Neuronic Persecutions, Emperor Nero. Uh, the Apostle Paul goes from house arrest the first time, with a lot of privileges, to now a dirty, dank dungeon. Uh, so things have really uh, gone from okay to pretty bad. Now, out of all the churches and all the Christians the Apostle Paul ministered to, there was only two people reflected in Scripture that supported him. Why? Because the tide now is turning against Christianity. And things are becoming more difficult. And a lot of the believers now are just looking out to save, them, save their own hides and then really not concerned about Paul. Does that surprise you? It shouldn't. Let me read to you on the, on the lines of what Wayne was talking about up here. And his wife actually sent me this through the email. Uh, it's an article in The Blaze. And it says, nearly half of church-going Americans say church doesn't have an effect on their lives. According to the Barna Group, which is a group that's been out there, pollsters, uh, for a while, an evangelical company that studies faith in America, nearly half of church-going Americans report that their lives have not changed at all as a result of ten attending church. And I'm just going to give you some excerpts. However, most people do indeed feel like they have had a real and personal connection with the Almighty while sitting in the pews. One's life in the context of faith likely won't change if he or she doesn't better grasp the tenets of the system which they are a part of. It says six in ten church attenders, when asked to recount their last visit to a house of worship, couldn't remember any significant insight they gained related to their faith. Even more startling among those who attended church in the past week, half said that they couldn't recall any spiritual tidbits. Now, this problems in both directions. Number one, what do we keep reading about? What do I keep focusing about? All the books that we went through, all the gospel writers, you know, everything the Apostle Paul wrote, focus on God's word. Now, a lot of churches have departed from that. But we can't just blame the churches because there are some that aren't listening. And they're not applying it to their lives. It's not good to be a Sunday Christian. You know, this needs to be a part of who we are. It needs to permeate us. Is it permeating? Are we just consumers? You know, church isn't like walking into a Honda dealership. Show me the packages. Let me see the power door locks. Let me see the power windows. What can you do for me on the price? That is not the behavior and the attitude we have to have towards church. When we come to church, we need to ask, how can I be a part of it? How can I be a part of the body of Christ? Not hop to hop to hop to different churches. What can this church do for me? And after I visit 10 churches, I'm going to pick the smorgasbord of the one that I like, and I'm going to be a part of that. If the word is being preached, it needs to... 
it needs to soak into us. Otherwise, the same thing's going to happen here. So if next year the administration changes and we have a persecuting uh, administration and they say, you know, all Christianity is illegal and they start arresting the pastors here, what's everyone else going to say? Well, I'm not going to get involved. You saw what happened to Pastor Joe. <laughs> He's got problems right now. You know, I'll quietly read my Bible at home and pray. And if the authorities come, I'll, I'll hide the Bible under my bed. That's not the attitude. That's not the attitude we need to have. And I got to ask you this question. What have you come here for today? Is it to feel good? Is it to be inspired? Is, or is it to be obedient to God's word no matter what the outcome? Now, when you say that, believe it. And when you say that and believe it, sometimes it's, it's a little hard to do. No matter what the outcome? You mean I really have to trust God for everything or anything that happens in my life? That's a hard thing to do. See, because if we aren't being trained by the word, then all of us are wasting two hours on a Sunday morning. Right or wrong? Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. It's only through Christ that we can have this promise of everlasting life. I don't care how many preachers are compromising on this. And they are. This is what the word of God says. Two, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. My dearly beloved. This word changes from the first letter. It's more powerful. The Greek word is agapetas, where we get the word of that divine love, agape, from. It's a form of it. You see, God puts people in families. And there's certainly nothing like the feeling and the joy that you get from discipling a like-minded person. And this is what uh, the Apostle Paul He's struggling. Now, let me just explain the conditions to you. I've done prison ministry. I've been in the prisons. It's nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's safe. It's, it's uh, thermostat controlled. There's cable TV, three meals, three hots in a cot. You know, like the saying goes, there's health care, there's dentistry. There's everything. There's recreation in prison. We're humane to our prisoners. If you go to the Mamertime dungeon in Rome, or you go to some of these places where they kept their prisoners, it was literally a hole in the ground. It was cold, it was damp, it was smelly, it probably was black mold problems down there, rats, bugs, dirt, your sanitary conditions were not there. And if someone didn't bring you a cloak and some food, you might die. The Apostle Paul, the greatest writer of the New Testament, is in this disgusting, filthy prison. But listen to the power and the passion that comes out of this man's mouth into his pen as he speaks. Verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. Have you ever been in a situation where, you know, for a time, maybe you were at work, and you were separated from your children, and maybe you get a call from the school, and they say, something's wrong, you need to come pick up your child. The agonizing moments between the time you leave work and go pick up your child, yeah, a lot of you are shaking your heads. If you're parents, you know that. Here's a guy who's several hundred miles, um, I do my math here, or more, away from this, this father-like figure to this son-like figure. And the passion only can come out through his letter because he can't reach him. He can't go to get him. He can't touch him. He can't kiss him again. So this is what's going on here. 
But he says, I serve with a pure conscience for the right reason. The Apostle Paul said that there were many when Christianity was started to, to take on and became popular. There were many preachers who did it for their own self-gain. So is it for self-gain or is it a calling? Prayers without ceasing night and day. That's foreign to us as Americans. Our phone rings night and day. People are texting us night and day. You know what I'm saying? We're getting emails and uh, it just doesn't stop. And I believe that, I'll tell you this, I probably pale, I'm probably pathetic in comparison to the old-time preachers because they, they just were, they were undistracted, they were constantly in prayer, constantly in the Word. I think our culture is killing our spirituality without ceasing. Now, I tell you what, I pray for the little things as well. I, and there are big things I pray for when I can't find my keys, you know. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I'm getting frustrated. And I mean it. I'm like, and I'm, I'm not mad at him. I'm just begging him, Lord, I got to find my keys. I got, I got an appointment to keep. And I, I, still, I got here today, so I, I keep finding them, which is a good thing. Four, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. This is a relationship that's based on God's will and his plan and his purpose, Timothy and Paul. And we have to ask ourselves, let's stop for a moment and reevaluate our relationships. Who comes to mind? What comes to mind? What are my relationships based on? Business? Reciprocity? I really like that person because they always do back for me when I do for them. That's not love. Carnality? Secrecy? Are our relationships edifying? Five. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. While in prison, part of Paul's joy is remembering these good things about Timothy and his parents. And I'll tell you the truth, when ministry gets tough, to sometimes roll around in your mind the person who's now on fire for the Lord the new convert, the joy of someone releasing the baggage of life to come to the foot of the cross. When things get really tough, boy, those things make us smile in leadership. Sometimes my leaders and I, we get so excited when we see uh, new believers or somebody who's been a believer for a long time rededicate their life, get involved. It's very, very exciting. It's really a great distraction technique. Verses 1 through 5, what do we have here? So this is retrospective. We've built a foundation. We look at the uh, mutual faith and the relationship that's been established between these two men. And from here, things are going to heat up a little bit. Because the Apostle Paul is going to charge Timothy to do certain things as a leader. 6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now in context... This was the office of an apostle, which had certain privileges, certain spiritual privileges. No doubt when the apostle Paul laid his hands on a young man to, uh, to, to go forward, and there were other young ladies too, deaconesses and such, that he would, God would give him a knowledge of what their gifts might be, that they may be endowed with certain gifts immediately, immediately upon conversion, or immediately more gifts upon uh, entrance into service. The word stirrup, and I love going into the Greek because it's very uh, image-friendly. The word for stirrup sounds, oh, stirrup. But the Greek word literally means to liven the flame, to get the flame to increase. God bestows 
on all of us who are born-again believers, spiritual gifts. But for some of us, we leave them dormant or we let them smolder like a little ember in the fire that really doesn't produce much heat, much light. It's there, but it's smoldering. See, we're in one of two camps, brothers and sisters. Number one, Jesus is really the fire in our hearts. Or two, the flame is dying. And as believers, we have to ask ourselves that question. Do I, I've been a Christian, you know, if you ask yourself, 5, 10, 15 years, am I using my spiritual gifts? Am I glorifying God? What are my spiritual gifts? Maybe I should ask him. Because some may be moved through this to rekindle that flame that he's speaking about. Seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This was, as we go through the entire first Timothy, Timothy had some problems. He had some physical problems. He had some opposition problems. He had false doctrine in the church. He had those that looked down on him because he was young. But he's saying we, we, we don't have a spirit of fear, but power, love, and of a sound mind. Now let's break this down. The word fear in the Greek has dread attached to it. If you look in your Greek lexicon, dread is attached to it and the implication of being faithless. The evil one trying to attenuate our faith. The love of God and fear are mutually exclusive. They can't occupy the same space. You see, when we move from Believing and resting and trusting in the love of God for me as an individual and for us corporately. What happens is when we move away from that, we move into an area where fear can start to fill in that vacuum. And that's what it likes to do. And sometimes we do irrational things when we're in fear. If you can, go to the website, uh, 1 Samuel 21 through 22. I really enjoyed teaching that. And I spoke about the five points of fear and what fear does to us. Just I'll go through them real briefly. Number one, it causes us to be more resourceful because in our minds, God's taking too long. So I'm afraid. So I've got to do it because no one else is going to help me. And that's not a good attitude to have. Two, we start to lie. Three, we start to hang with the wrong crowd, say the wrong things, do the wrong things, and then try to cover it up. Four, it's a self-imposed prison, fear is. And five is a humility and a loss of dignity. And we can see this in the life of David when he initially started running from King Saul. And he embodied all of these points. And what's really cool is I'm really excited to teach 1 Samuel 23 because David comes back. He starts to call the name of the Lord. He starts to become victorious. He starts to live in victory. It's as simple as that. Calling on the name of the Lord to start reversing the fear and the bad things we do when fear is embodying us. Now, in the context of ministry... These two, you know, speaking to Timothy here, he wants him to know that he needs to rely on God. He needs to rely on the Holy Spirit. Because even in ministry, even in today, there's some that will have this survivalist mentality. And, and I've got to tell you, I mean, I've studied the Bible for a while. I probably, and I've done this just cold. If somebody catches me and they um, you know, say, teach this, I could do it. Because God has blessed me with those gifts. But here's the danger of a minister or a pastor or a leader is to take it and say, well, I've always done it before. I'm just going to do it. And then forget to call upon God to be a part of that. And you may wow some people with your oratory skills, with your your examples and your stories, but God may not be in it. So that's important. Now, this leaves a sound mind and power. If we're focused on the Lord, if our mind is focused on the Lord, it's going to be a healthy mind. Why? Because God created the mind. 
And if you study the mind and behavior, even when a person goes through a traumatic experience, the mind does things. There are grieving techniques. There are um, uh, tragedy techniques. They do certain things to keep the person from losing it completely. However, if the mind is focused on God, which it was created to do, okay, you become successful. Lastly is power. The word in the Greek is dunamis. Later on in the English, we got the word dynamite from this, power. Only power is going to come from God, not from our own machinations. Eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. The testimony, that word has a, a word evidence attached to it. So Paul's saying to Timothy, this wasn't a fairy tale. I just want you to know that. I'm sitting in here in this rotten, stinking prison, and I'm going to die. And pretty much all he had to do was say to the authorities, you know what? I got carried away. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. I don't want to be a preacher and an apostle anymore. Just can you let me out? They might have done it. Hey, just deny it to everybody. Okay, is that what I have to do to spare my life? I'll do it. Of course he wouldn't do that because he was sold out because there was evidence of the risen Christ. So, so what do you live? We live 80, 90 years maybe. You're in your 90s. I mean, boy, you're really ahead of the game. And then that's it for eternity. So if we know that Jesus rose from the dead and he promises us eternal life, why would we deny him? That's crazy, crazy talk. So this is what's going on here. He's saying, listen, I believe in his preexistence, virgin birth, sinless life, substitutionary death on the cross, resurrection, ascension. But I've got to tell you something, and I've read these polls to you before. Those tenets are up for grabs in, in some pulpits. There are some ministers who are saying, well, that's negotiable. How do you call that a church? So what he's saying is there's evidence of this. And do not be ashamed. Let me tell you something. Any minister who, who does, who, who's negotiable about the resurrection and the substitutionary death on the cross is ashamed of the gospel. Oh, oh no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are, according to what Scripture says. And they're out there. And don't be ashamed of God's true servants. Now, in this case, it's the Apostle Paul. But you know what he says? Check this out. He goes... I am the Lord's prisoner. Right? What does he say here? Nor of me, his prisoner. Speaking about the Lord, referencing back to the Lord. Now check this out. He wasn't angry. He wasn't bitter with God. He said, I'm the Lord's prisoner. This is his will. I'm here. I'm not getting out. I'm probably going to be executed. He knew that. So I'm the Lord's prisoner. That's powerful. You know what it says? What it says is whatever situation I'm in, I trust God. Amen. See, a lot of times we say God is good when something really nice happens to us. God is good no matter what. Amen. And we need to trust him on that one. Now, I'm preaching to myself as well as I'm preaching to you. So just keep that in mind. We, I say we a lot because I'm part of we. Do we accept his will no matter what? Now, this is an ex exhortation to Timothy not to be ashamed of uh, his predicament, but to share in the sufferings because of the gospel's sake. Now, this is hard for many of us to swallow as Americans because it can, it can run contrary to what we understand as the American dream, which is a good thing, but is it scriptural? How many of you are familiar with Voice of the Martyrs? Raise your hand. So a lot of you. Voice of the Martyrs, very powerful. Pastor Wombrand. Let me tell you something about Pastor Wombrand. He's gone to be with the Lord now. 14 years in a communist prison, pastor in Romania. 
after World War II and the Nazis were removed, the communists came and they took over Eastern Europe. And they got all the pastors together and said, we're communists. <laughs> so we're not really big on the whole God thing and supernatural stuff. And this is, you can read communism. It's all there for, for you to understand. And they told the pastors basically that they had to preach a watered-down service in church. And many of them went along with it. Pastor Wimbrand refused. They put him in prison. They beat him. They tortured him. He actually went before Congress when he was eventually released. And he took off his shirt. And there was just whippings and scars. I mean, they just ripped this guy to pieces. However, you know, his fellow pastors were just fine in the pulpits during the communist era. You know why? Because they were ashamed of the gospel. Because they said, sure, we'll preach. I got a family. You know, I got a kid going to school. You know, I've got bills I got to pay. I can't go to prison. Whatever you say, we'll do it. That's, that's got to be hard. You know, and that really separates the, the true believers from the make-believers. Be interesting to see how many fishes would stay on bumper stickers in America if tomorrow Christianity became illegal. There'd be a lot of paint ripped off, you know what I'm saying? A lot of bare spots there. That's a tough thing. I want to read to you 1 Peter 4, just two verses, 12 through 13. Peter, the apostle, says, Beloved, do not think it strange, out of the ordinary, odd, weird, concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. I got to tell you, I like the promises that tell me I'm going to be encouraged, that tell me I'm going to be, you know, God's going to use me. I like those promises, but I'm not really fond, I got to be honest with you, of these promises. If you are a true believer, you will be overtaken by some of these trials. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it's weird. Don't think it's out of the ordinary. It's part of the growth process. It's part of the maturity process as a believer. Sufferings, according to the power of God, that's weird too, isn't it? Here's the truth. You can endure sufferings unless you are uh, endued with the power of God. Remember Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane took out the sword? That was brave. He cut off, he missed the guy's neck, I guess, and he cut off the guy's ear instead. Wasn't a very good marksman, but he tried. And then when Jesus told him to put the sword away, he took off. He's like, I'll fight to the death. And I really believe he meant it. But don't take me as a prisoner. I've got to put my sword away. Gotta, they're going to put me in chains. Am I cruis- oh, that's, that's not, I'm not into that right now. I'm out of here. He wasn't filled with the Spirit, and he couldn't endure that. And that's the truth. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and all the Christians, and a lot of them even said before they were going to be burned at the stake, I don't know if I can do this. And when it happened, they were quoting Scripture. They were singing. I mean, just incredible accounts. Because you can't do it like we are now. It, it, it's got to be according to the power of God. Lord, help me to glorify you no matter what the case may be. Verse 9. He who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, his own purpose, not my purpose, but his, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You know, we have a lot of ideas about what we want to do or how we think we're going to glorify God, but are they in line with how he wants us to glorify him? We all have a purpose. Do you know your purpose? That really starts with knowing what your spiritual gifts are. And that starts with, if we don't know, asking. And really fervently in prayer, what are my gifts, Lord? Show me. 
Now, it says this was given before time began. See, God had a plan. And there's a lot of false doctrine out there. There's one, if you, if you use a search engine, it's called open theism. The future is wide open. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? What it basically says is God's not omniscient. God doesn't know the future. He has no idea what some things are going to happen. That's crazy talk. <laughs> the term for the today is crazy talk. Because if we look at this, God had a plan. He had a plan. He knew that men and women would rebel against him. He knew that they would turn their back on him. He had a plan to save them and bring them back. He knew even as believers, we would still mess up and still sin and still offend him. And he had a plan. It's called repentance and restoration. It's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I would prefer to not believe in open theism because, first of all, it's not scriptural. And honestly, I don't want to serve a God who doesn't know anything. You know, who doesn't know my future. That's the two of us who are clueless now. That's problematic. Ten. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Revealed by the appearing of our Savior. See, Christ's revelation brings light to everything. Starting with the Old Testament, all the way through to God's promises, God's future, and the book of Revelation. Pretty awesome stuff. He, he's the, it's amazing. It's like if you're looking at hieroglyphics. and I can't read hieroglyphics. I'm just having a, tr- a tough time doing, doing okay with Greek here. But what happens is he's the decoder. He's the, the um, you know, the... What do they call that? The um, ah, I can't think of it. Just call it out. Help me out here. I'm, thank you. I'm just struggling over here. But basically, it's the translation. It's the code. It's the, you know, I can't think of the word I'm thinking of, but it doesn't matter. But this is what God is. The legend, whatever. So, I want to ask you a question. Or I want to just say this, that he's abolished death, brought life, and immortality. Are you, are you necrophobic? You know what that means? That means fear of death. Because this is the answer for your problem. You know, even as a kid, I grew up, I didn't know the Lord. I would think about death sometimes and, man, it freaks you out. Death, you know, the other side, what happens? It's weird to think about. But God has the answer. He doesn't let us languish. He doesn't let us, um, you know, be conscious while we're buried in the ground. We go from one state to another in probably less than a split second. From, and I'll tell you what, immortality, who doesn't want immortality? Live forever, but in a good way? It's right here. Here's the answer to all that. We get to live forever. And at one point, we'll be getting glorified bodies. The Bible's clear of that. In the twinkling of an eye, we'll all be changed. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter, which we'll probably go through during Resurrection Sunday. And uh, it's all good news from here. Right? This is the answer to our fears about that. Twelve. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. For these things, I also suffer, but I'm not ashamed. Why does he keep saying that? Because it's something we need to hear. And I believe that as as Timothy opened up the letter and started reading, he's like, wow, wow. Well, that answered that question. Wow, that helps me with that problem. Because remember, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And 2,000 years later, it's still applicable to us in our lives. 
And we read God's word and like, wow, that's an answer to that problem or that concern or that fear that I had. It's the answer. But he suffered because of that. See, if we're truly devoted to the Lord, we will get on the nerves of the world system. There are many Christians who want to live a double life. They want to be born again and get to heaven and not get to hell and the judgment and all the good stuff that goes with it. But they also really like the life that they're living and they don't want to change. And that's a problem because you can't mature, you can't grow like that. Things will change. If you're really sold out for the Lord, remember, Satan owns the world system right now. We'll be taken from him. He offered it to Jesus. Remember when he was tempted? Jesus goes, I'm not, I'm not getting it. I'm not going to fall for that. We're not doing it that way. I, I wonder if Satan thought, okay, maybe he's in a weakened state because he's fully God but fully man, and this is the time I'm going to tempt him. It didn't work. But for believers, sometimes they look at the world system and go, gee, I like that. But if you're really sold out for Christ, you may not get the promotion. You may lose friends. You may lose business associates. You know, they're going to check you out before they do business with you. You may be at one point odds with the authorities. In Paul's case, he was imprisoned, executed, and other Christians were ashamed of him because they were ashamed, not of him, of the gospel. Right? Now, this is important because he says that he was able to keep what was committed to him by the Lord until that day or the day of reckoning, the day that we stand before the Lord and we're rewarded as believers for what we've done. But I believe also we give the Lord thanks for that and we give him the glory. So it's kind of a neat system there. But the question is, are we committed to him? Am I committed to him? Does my life reflect that? Am I truly committed to him? See, because he made a commitment to me. And relationships work in two directions. So if the Lord made a commitment to me, we should be committed to him as well. Now, that doesn't mean being part of the Christian community. That doesn't even mean being part of the Calvary Chapel Christian community. That means absolutely nothing. Hopefully, being in that community and being taught the word will bring you to an understanding of who God is and that you can have a relationship with him. But just meandering along with the whole crowd, no matter how good the crowd is, doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't rub off. Some things in life rub off, but salvation does not. Verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, who dwells in us. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Guard, hang on to that good thing committed to you. Keep it by the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think of something that we would hold on to or we would guard with our life, what do we think of? You know, what's in my jewelry box in the bedroom? I hope the burglar doesn't come in and take it, so I'll put it in a safe in the closet and bolt it to the floor and put clothes on top of it. What's, you know, I mean, sorry, I'm going into my other profession. (laughs) I'm just, I'm drifting a little bit. What's important? Sentimental things from a, a grandparent or something valuable monetarily, but also sentimental? Or the spiritual gifts and endowments that God gives us. That one has to take precedence over the former. Verse 15, he says, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among those who are Phygelus and Hermogenes. 
The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Interesting, Jesus says that if you give a prophet a cup of cold water, you share in that prophet's reward. So Onesiphorus was a great guy. I mean, he probably the Lord ministered to a lot of people and said, you really need to visit Paul. He needs to be encouraged. And some maybe said, no, that's too dangerous. But Onesiphorus said, yeah, I'll go. I'll do it. Right. Again, Paul did a lot of ministry in Asia, which we would understand as modern day Turkey. Uh, We would understand today as Asia Minor. Now, there are always going to be those that quit. They're not serious. They're in it for the wrong reasons. They're not going to band together, but they'll run away. And then there's those that will do that, but then change. That's an awesome thing. And that was Peter. (laughs) We love Peter. We love his his writings. We love to hear about his stories. And he was a guy who was impetuous. He, you know, he did things quickly. But even when he denied the Lord, he came back. And that was not held against him. So that's a good thing. There'll always be flighty believers versus those that are in it for the long haul. Which one are you? And which one would you be if persecution came? Because the Apostle Paul uses some words. And this is a short chapter, but check this out. He uses the word ashamed three times in this small chapter. Fear one times. Suffering three times. And one of them being specific to, be, to him being chained in this short chapter. Now, some pastors can't preach this. I'll tell you why. It doesn't fit with their success model. It doesn't fit with their shtick. It doesn't fit with their pet doctrines. Right? However... Out of all the Christians in all the churches, he says, Luke is with me in another scripture. And he also said, Onesiphorus diligently sought me. Now, some shunned Paul in this crucial time, and some, very few, sought him out. And that's what we do in life, don't we? We seek things out, and we tune other things out. We seek and we shun. And this is what we do through our life's journey. Who do we seek out and who do we shun? And is it the reverse of what it should be? Do we seek out those who we can be accountable to? Do we seek out those relationships that can edify us? Do we seek out those that we can lead a secret or double life with? Now, I got to tell you, as a believer, I had some of those bad relationships. And you know what the Lord did? He separated us. He loved me enough to say, I've got different things for you, Joe. That's not for you. And it was painful, and I was trying to think, and then as I look back retrospectively, I realized it. I put myself in a position where the Lord had to cut that off. Right? So these are the things we need to look at. It says a lot about a person by the company that we keep. Now understand, God, according to the scripture, Paul says, he was with the Apostle Paul, even though many others were not. And he encouraged the Apostle But he needed Timothy to know these things. We saw it with Jesus. We saw it with Paul. We see it in the book of Martyrs. That ministry, especially leadership, comes with a few things. It comes with rejection. It comes with betrayal. It comes with abandonment. You can pour so much into others. And at the first uh, sign of fear or self-preservation, they'll throw you under the bus. And that is extremely painful. But it's an occupational hazard 
of being in leadership. So who's interested? <laughs> I will tell you, though, that literally the, the rewards are out of this world. And that's the truth. You see, the carnal believer will always have a following. The compromising pastor will always have support. The gossip will always have friends. The Christian speaker who tickles the ears of his hearers will always have listeners. And they may have thriving ministries. Don't be fooled by it. But we have to understand that there's a, a transition. That when we're in the temporal world and we go to the spiritual, things must change. Things must change. And sometimes it will include persecution, struggle, and difficulty. I'm going to read a scripture that really embodies what we're saying today. 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 13, it says, All those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. That's amazing. <laughs> there's another promise that you can put in your journal and you know, there's your Bible promise. If we desire to live godly in Christ, we will suffer some form of of persecution. It may not be beheading, it may not be uh, being put in prison or being burned at the stake, but it will be some type of persecution. And some work very hard to try to not have that happen. And all they're doing is delaying the maturity and the trying process that God's trying to do in their life. But evil men and women will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I know which life the Apostle Paul modeled himself after. And I believe I know which life the uh, Pastor Timothy modeled his life after. And then the only question is, which one will we model our life after? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as always, your word is powerful. It is encouraging.